Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from Talk Sport with me, Sam Matterface, Talk Sports Chief Football Correspondent Alex Crook, and FA Cup winner, Scott Minto. Antonio Conte clocks out as the clocks go forward. Was Daniel Levy left with any other choice than to sack him? But why on earth has he put someone in charge who's never managed a top-flight team before? There is still stuff to play for, you know. Coming up, England make it two out of two in their qualifying campaign as they beat Ukraine with relative ease. And we'll do a full preview to the end of the season with every team having something to play for. It really is a season like no other. It's the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. Tottenham's European dream ends with a whimper. 20 years that there is the owner and they never won something. But why? Tottenham, 3-1 up and cruising, have been pegged back in stoppage time. It's time to change the situation if Tottenham wants to change. Breaking news this morning, Antonio Conte has left Tottenham after 16 months by mutual consent. He was just begging to get sacked. You know, the players are playing and they're not really fighting for him. The tactics in the end were diabolical. The Spurs fans need a little bit of love from the manager, not to be told that you're a mug for turning up to watch this. They all got charged with the same brush really with Conti's statement and it's unfair. When you've got people like Harry Kane, how can you accuse him of not working hard enough? You know, over the next day or two I'll uh, talk to you know, whoever it is and find out what's happening. Christian Stellini will take the reins till the end of the season. The positives, you know, as the players you know, and he knows what they can do. Negatives, is it just the same? I would choose Nagelsmann if he would come. I'm not convinced that is necessarily the case, although I, th- I think the fit is fantastic. Everyone says Poch. Poch wasn't as good a manager as people think. I would actually have Harry Redknapp back. It's a completely different dynamic come the summer if we're in the Champions League next season in terms of who you can attract. Yeah, Antonio Conte has been sacked. Uh, I don't think we're too surprised about that, Crook. <laughs> it's the least surprising sacking in Premier League history, arguably. <laughs> I think people are a bit surprised by the timing of it late on a Sunday night. But as you said, it, it had to happen. It was a case of when and not if. And yeah, really interesting times ahead for Spurs. What a disaster of an appointment it has been, really. Let's be completely clear. He got them into the Champions League, but it has been nothing short of misery since pretty much day one. I mean, the first six months seem to be okay, but the following 10 months have just been basically counting down the clock to when he's going to leave, Scott. Look, Sam, I think at the beginning, we all knew how this would end. We just didn't realise it would end so quickly. Look, I I think you've got to split it into two. I know there were problems last season, but I think the job he did last season was incredible to get them into 
uh, fourth and, and into the Champions League. But I'm actually really, really disappointed with him. And, and clearly what he said, a lot of what he said, I think a lot of Spurs fans can resonate with. But look, he's won lows, but he just looks so one-dimensional with that system. And it was almost like, I can't do anything else if I don't have better players. And I can't think of one player who actually he improved as well. So, you know, look, negative substitutions, especially in the Champions League against the really average Milan side. He's had a lot of heartache in his personal life. And I think we can take that a little bit of that into consideration. But in terms of being mm. purely business-like, which is what Daniel Levy has to do, and just looking from afar as well, I'm just really disappointed because this is a guy who did exceptionally well at, uh, at Inter and obviously at Chelsea. And I was thinking he would do something. They all end in the same way, right? So it, it always happens like this. He starts off, he does a reasonably good job. I mean, they didn't really get the Conte full experience of having the first season being brilliant and winning something and then second season imploding because he didn't he didn't manage to put anything on the table. And this year he threw away yeah, but... two opportunities to win trophies. And and you talk about the, the heartache. And that's, uh, listen, I, I'm totally sympathetic to that because it has been a really difficult six or seven months for him in terms of a personal situation. He's lost three friends over the course of that period to illness. And that sort of, I think, touched his own mortality, especially with his illness that he picked up as well. So there is there is mitigating circumstances here. Would not he have been wiser to say, look, I'm struggling a little bit here in, 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 the, in my own mentality. Maybe I should hand it over to someone else rather than throwing in grenade after grenade after grenade, taking Tottenham out of two competitions and then leaving somebody else to pick up the pieces. Look, he is who he is. You know, as I said at the very beginning there, we, we, we kind of knew how this would end. Just a question of when. Um, you say Spurs didn't win anything, but with the greatest respect to them, I think finishing fourth, they won a place in the Champions League. That's not a trophy. It's not a trophy. It's not a trophy, though, is it? I mean, there's no point in getting to the Champions League if you're going to go out insipidly against Milan in the first knockout stage. And they finished fourth regularly under Maurizio Pochettino with a far reduced when budget. They, when, when he took over, they were mid-table. And no one, I'm sorry, no one thought at that time before he took over that Spurs would finish top fourth. So I'm not disagreeing with this season. I think it's absolutely the right decision. I think, you know, even before I, I was with you at Bournemouth when we, we chatted Conte, Sam, and I, before the rant, I said that he, he should go and, and Levy should get rid of him. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just really disappointing me because it's the same system. It, all he did was moan about the players and he, he didn't get them any better. That's so boring to watch as well. Um, here's one, though. I mean, Daniel Levy's got a lot to, to, to shoulder here in terms of blame. And the idea that he said, we've got 10 games to go, so everyone should stick together now in his statement late on Sunday night. Seems slightly uh, odd to me. Uh, he's puts Christian Stellini in charge until the end of the season. Ryan Mason is the assistant. I mean, Ryan Mason has got more top flight experience as a manager than Christian Stellini. Christian Stellini has only ever managed a club in, I think, the third tier of Italian football when he got fired from that job. Now, he's probably a nice bloke. He seemed to carry himself quite well during the period that he was stepping in for Antonio Conte when Conte was ill. But is this a little bit of arrogance from Daniel Levy? Because they need to get into the top four. Surely you need a specialist to come in and drive you into those positions rather than just giving up the season or handing the reins over to someone who's never done it before. Now, I might be proved wrong here, and Stellini might be an inspirational appointment, and he might go on and take them to the Champions League. But it seems to me to be gambling a little bit uh, on, the, uh, on the rest of the season by putting someone in charge who's never done it. 
I think it shows a, a lack of foresight, a lack of a clear plan from Daniel Levy. Let's be honest, the, re- the reason that statement dropped at 20 past 10 on a Sunday night was to miss the, the deadlines for the first editions of the newspapers. So it wasn't on the back yeah. pages of the papers this morning. They're a little bit embarrassed. Tottenham, I think, by the way, this has ended. But ultimately, who would take the job at this moment in time? We know that they're suddenly on the tail of Julian Nagelsmann having become unexpectedly available. He's not going to take the job with no guarantees that Spurs are in the Champions League next season. So he's biding his time. Pochettino's an interesting one. I think the board is still split there. Daniel Levy has a good relationship, but Paratici is going to have a say as it stands. Or there's a court case in Italy that may change that. Uh, as we're say, recording why does he pod. have a say? Bearing in mind that he's half responsible for this whole situation because he brought in Antonio Conte and he failed to bring in the players that Conte wanted. Now he's in trouble in Italy and he may not be able to be the sporting director by the time we get to the end of the season. I mean, if Daniel Levy had anything about him, he would have got rid of both of them. I agree. And that's what I, I mean, again, by lack of foresight. And they're playing a dangerous game with Pochettino because you know, Sam, and I know that there are clubs outside of the Premier League who are big admirers of Pochettino, Real Madrid being one of those. So they are running the risk if Daniel Levy does want Pochettino back that he may suddenly be off the table. There's talk of Luis Enrique again. I don't think he comes in with 10 games to go. Is it arrogance? It's certainly dangerous because you look at their fixtures in April. They play Newcastle, they play Manchester United, they play Liverpool, the three teams they're competing with, arguably, for that fourth spot. If they don't win those games, they're not going to qualify for the Champions League. Then all of a sudden, the calibre of manager they can attract next season diminishes. If they don't finish in the top four, by the way, I wouldn't be entirely shocked if Ryan Mason is the manager next season. Oh, I, I, I don't know about that. But, you know, I, I hear a lot of people saying, you know... That... Whoa, 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 whoa. What? What? Explain that. Well, I, I just think the calibre of candidate that they can attract if they're not a Champions League club, bearing in mind that we know Daniel Levy is not going to loosen the purse strings. Nagas was not going to join Tottenham if they're not in the Champions League. Can't see it. I think even Pochettino, we know, is very keen to get back there. Feels he has unfinished business. He wants to be managing in the Premier Club competition. If Spurs are in the Europa League, or listen, maybe even the Conference League, because it's not guaranteed they finish in the top six. Okay, I'm not, I'm not sure he can. Yeah. I, I... Okay, listen, I like Ryan. I know Ryan. Ryan's a friend of ours. He's worked with us on um, uh, TalkSport on a number of occasions, and we get on with him very, very well. But I don't think in any way, shape or form, he was expecting to be a Premier League manager in his early, well, I think he's not even 30 yet, or he's just about to be 30. Uh, his journey's so, unique though, isn't it? His journey is unique, but, you know, Nagelsmann took over a club at 28 and that was incredibly unique. I mean, I'm not sure that Ryan is ready to, to take that journey yet. Maybe he needs to do a little bit more work elsewhere before he ends up being the manager of a Premier League team. Um, but listen, he's got a good coaching future ahead of him and he's doing the right things in terms of staying close to um, bosses uh, at the top end of the game to try and learn his trade. Although I don't know how much he would have learned from Antonio Conte. Yeah. Scott? I'm, 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 yeah, I'm not having Ryan doing it. He's, he's a great lad. He's a very good coach, so I hear. But to come in at a club that's, that will be chasing top four, I'm sorry, I, I, I just don't see that one. And when I hear people sort of say, oh, you know, Managers want to wait to see whether they're going to be in the Champions League. Well, why not grasp the nettle now? Why not control the controllables and have a part of that control and say, look, I, I want Their to... The fixture list isn't that bad. You could get them in the Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think someone with a winning mentality would think just that. Why would I wait to see? And it's absolutely 50-50. And Crooky's right to bring up those three games. But but there's a lot, a few others that might be a little bit tricky as well. That if you're not in control of that and you're waiting and they're outside the top four, you've missed out on a fantastic opportunity with a very big club that could be playing Champions League football next season. 
So I don't, I wouldn't understand why. I mean, maybe a Nagelsmann will be thinking, I've just come out of Bayern Munich. I don't want a job straight away. If Levy wanted Poch, you're telling me that he wouldn't be the manager now. So for me, I think Poch is, is, is not the guy that Levy wants. Because if he's, if Levy's saying to Poch right now, we want the job, and he's saying, no, do you know what? I'll wait till the end of the season to see if you're in the Champions League. What does that tell you about the mentality of Pochettino? So I don't think Levy wants him. Uh, it tells me the same thing about the mentality of Pochettino as it does the mentality of Daniel Levy, that it's okay to put the assistant in charge uh, because we'll just about get through. It's all right to put Ryan Mason in charge five days before a cup final because, uh, you know, we'll just give it a go. And that's the attitude. The fact is, is that they it's almost sort of an act of self-sabotage in a way. Why would you not do your job properly and get someone to come in with expert qualification to steer this ship towards the Champions League. It's Tottenham Hotspur. There is a chance to play in the premier competition of European football. Why are you putting in a guy who's never managed a game in the top flight as a permanent manager? He stepped in once for Antonio Conte at Inter Milan. He stepped in two or three times in the Premier League this season. But ultimately, he is not a frontline manager. And if he was going to be a frontline manager, he probably would have done it by now because he's 48 years of age. Uh, the next game is against Everton. It's live on Talk Sport, and that's on Monday night. They play Brighton after that at home and then Bournemouth at home. Two big home games back-to-back, which are going to be really important for Christian Stellini and Ryan Mason. Newcastle away after that. Then Manchester United and Liverpool. By the time we get to the end of April, their journey could be over in terms of Champions League football. Just one more point as well, Sam. This whole thing from Daniel Levy seems very reactionary rather than proactive. And it shouldn't be because I remember being on the boot room probably in about September. And I predicted that Conte wouldn't see out the season. I predicted that Pochettino would be back in situ. The second part of that premonition hasn't quite come true yet. But it's been obvious since way before the season even started, that famous interview that you did with him at Turf Moor. Febu- this, February 2022, Crook, actually this, was the interview. <laughs> this, is, this is not a relationship that is going to pass the distance of time. It, it was always a very unhappy marriage. So the fact that Daniel Levy and the Spurs board didn't have a backup plan I think he's out of order on their part. To be wrong. <laughs> I think it just all plays into the fact that Antonio Conte is actually right about the club. And when he turns around and says that they, they don't have the drive, they don't have the ambition, the reason they haven't won things over the course of so many years is because they haven't got that mentality. And the fact that they, they are not prepared to replace him with a full-time manager, it actually reminds me a little bit of Mike Ashley and his approach to the situation when they lost Alan Pardew and they put John Carver in charge. John Carver, brilliant assistant manager, great coach but never a real frontline manager. They brought him in. They said, we'll just sit there till the end of the season. They were pretty safe and happy. And then they got relegated. Terry and Connor also, at Wolves as well, replacing Mick McCarthy. Yeah, it's the same that sort one? of thing. You know, you've got to have a plan. You've got to have ambition. You've got to make sure you put the right person in the dugout. It's the leader of your organisation. It's your front of house. It is the person who's supposed to inspire you. The fact, listen, again, I'll say this. Stellini may well be an inspired appointment and he might come good. But history is telling us that he hasn't done it yet. So if he if he hasn't done it yet, why is that? And it's probably because he's not prepared uh, to do it. He's not ready to uh, do just it. Just one small example of how they do do it well. Brighton. Yeah, they lose Graham Potter. No one saw that coming. They have Roberto De Zerbi. Uh, we've spoken about running football clubs, culture. What is the Tottenham culture? Failing, failing to get over the final hurdle. That is the Tottenham culture. And until Daniel Levy um, probably moves on and somebody else with a slightly different mentality comes in, then that's always going to be the case. I feel sorry for Tottenham fans this morning because I think a lot of them will be relieved about Antonio Conte leaving. 
But I also think they'll be perplexed as to why they haven't gone out and tried to get Nagelsmann straight away. Yeah, I think you're right. But again, there's a financial issue there. Um, Kev Hatchard, if he was on this podcast, would probably know more um, about this. But I think he's on gardening leave from Bayern Munich. So even though he's been sacked, it would cost Tottenham a lot of money to get him at this moment in time. And what does Daniel Levy 65 not like to million do? quid. Spend money. So I think that's definitely a factor. But there is a bigger issue at play here as well. Harry Kane, he was put on the spot about Conte and Spurs by Faye Carruthers at the England game on Sunday night answered the question a little bit sheepishly. He didn't exactly come out and back his manager, so I think he's quite pleased that Conte's gone. But I'm not sure he'll be particularly happy with the fact his assistant has stepped up. Nothing against it. He's very popular with the players, by all accounts. But this shows a lack of ambition from Spurs, which is the exact reason, I think, why Harry Kane will push again to leave in the summer. It's the same reason that Kane um, will leave, the same reason that Antonio Conte never settles, because second best is OK. Listen, Scott, I'm... I'm not a defender of Daniel Levy, but what I would say is, and, and if his contract was to do with trophies and look, you get a million uh, basic and then you get 3 million per salary, uh, uh, per trophy, I think the, the mentality would change. But the bottom line is Enoch feel they can't compete with the Man Cities, the Man U's, the Chelsea. And that's why all what they're doing, I know what Spurs fans saying, we don't want this Formula One or whichever one it is, the go-karting and American football and this, that and the other. But it's a way of generating money. Now, the important thing is generating money, does all of that go back into the football? If it doesn't, then you can throw whatever you want at Enoch and Daniel Levy and say, look, you know, all you're cared about is not about the football side. You just want to make money and it doesn't go to the football side. But they cannot compete or are unwilling to compete in the way that City Chelsea and Manchester United do. But they have to and make- I totally get that, Scott. I totally understand that. But you don't need to have an oligarch in charge to recruit well and to play good, entertaining football. If Tottenham were playing like Brighton this season and missed out on the top four by three points at the end of the season, do you think the Tottenham fans would be up in arms? They're in the best stadium in Europe. They've got the best training ground in the country. They've got, uh, if they're playing good football and they've got the England striker scoring goals for them, do you think they're going to be up in arms as much as they are when you go there every week and it's preferable to watch paint dry? Sam, you tell me at what point in Conte's career as a manager has he played attractive, free-flowing, passing football? But that's on Daniel Levy because he hired But him. no one he argued that, with that. I knew that, you Sam, knew that. I'm sorry. No one argued with that when we, he first took over. On. They were mid-table when he first took over. They, he got them to fourth. What you're wanting from an Antonio Conte, from Spurs' point of view, is a bridge in the way that people were saying about possibly Conte to Manchester United. But Ten Hag has done a wonderful job there. You're wanting to get to the next level and then you get the manager to take it further on. Because Spurs and Conte was never a good fit stylistically. But what he did do, he got them into the top four. We spoke in the summer. We even had a bet. And I've got to take you out on them for a meal off the back of it. Not just because Spurs are doing well, because obviously they're they're not doing great, but because Chelsea are doing really bad. But when the transfer window had kind of finished, or at some point in the summer, we were all thinking Spurs bought early, Spurs bought well, Watch out for them. Not necessarily for the title, but for the top four. At that point... Therefore, Conte has failed them. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's failed them, but... And that's the point, isn't it? That is but the But when point. he first came in, when he first came in and got them to the top four, uh, when he first came in, I think 99% of people are saying that is just what Spurs need right now because they're too Spursy. 
But Scott, it, it is what Spurs need if you give him the free reign to operate. If you don't give him the free reign to operate, then he is going to do what he has just he's done. He's going to do it anyway. Which is basically blow the joint up. He did up. it at Chelsea. He might have done, but he won't think he's going to do it 16, 16 months into the project. And that's exactly what I said. We knew how it was going to end. We just didn't know it would end this, this quickly. But Daniel Levy has a big decision well, it, to make. Right, OK. Well, he, well, he's made the big decision, which is to get rid of Antonio Conte and bring in Stellini till the end of the season. Who is next? Will it be Nagelsmann? Will it be Poch? Will it be somebody else? Listen, I think Ruben Amarim is probably the best uh, choice uh, for, for Tottenham Hotspur. I think he's the kind of manager that wants to prove himself at a upper mid-table club and then go on and uh, try and drag them into the Champions League. Scott, you've seen a lot of his sporting team over the last couple of years. He ended a long wait for sporting to pick up a, 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 a title in Portugal, got back into the Champions League. Could he do a job there? Yeah, I do. I've also heard Sergio Conceição's name being mentioned as well, and he's done a, a good job at Porto, and it, it looks like they're just going to fall away because Benfica is so good this season. But Ruben Amarine, yeah, absolutely. He's a, he's a young coach still, uh, fresh-minded, very clever with how he deals with the press uh, over there in Portugal. And look, he's got past Arsenal, hasn't he? So... While this season in the league, they certainly won't be happy where they are, he will say there's mitigating circumstances because he's had the heart of his team ripped out, not just with uh, Paulinho, yeah. but also Mateus Nunes. So he's, he's a very good coach. Very good. Uh, more on Spurs later and if they can salvage a spot in the top four. But let's switch our focus now and quickly look back on England. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Good. All of the pre match uh, talk was about James Madison making his debut three and a third years after his first appearance. He said afterwards uh, to uh, Faker others that he thought it was like a, a second debut playing Ukraine at Wembley. He certainly enjoyed himself, got a lot of touches of the ball, uh, and uh, maybe he'll get some of the headlines further down the page. But I'm a sucker for Saka. <laughs> what a special boy he is. I mean, he's intelligent, he's clever, he's got great movement, he's skillful, 
He's quick. He's fast. He senses danger. He covers his fullback. He produces brilliant delivery and he scores special goals. I mean, he's a humble guy as well. I mean, is there anything this guy can't do? They had to ban him from playing that countdown game on the Channel 4 thing because he would have embarrassed the rest of the squad. So, uh, I mean, he's just almost like he's like a superhero footballer at the moment. He is he's, he's on a great trajectory. And he's the type of guy that you'd be happy if your daughter brought home as well, as Ronald Koeman once said about James Ward-Prowse. So there, there are no flaws. There are no flaws as a player. There are no flaws in his character. And I think we're both on the same page here, Sam. Erling Haaland probably will win the PFA Player of the Year. You've got a vote in the Football Writers. I think Bukayo Saka is the man for me, regardless of who wins the league. First player this season into double figures in terms of goals and assists at such a young age to be driving that Arsenal side amid the pressure of trying to win the title for the first time in 19 years. And then he steps up for England as well. In fact, I think he's the second top scorer of that squad that uh, Gareth Southgate assembled behind only Harry Kane. He is a wonderful player. I guess the only concern for Arsenal fans is he's still not signed his contract yet. <laughs> four in the next, uh, four in the last six games for England. Yeah, and uh, I sent a WhatsApp last night into uh, our group that Crook and I are in. I said Saka wins the, the the Player of the Year, and everybody was like, "What? Hey, what? What about Haaland? And I was like, "Well, look, I think the PFA Player of the Year maybe will will go. It's always split, isn't it? You know, you don't. It depends usually who's winning the title. They vote early. You lot all vote for your mates." Um, but the football writers, I think, will probably go to Saka because I think it should go to the team that win the title. I think Arsenal will probably end up winning the title, but um, he's been he's been sensational and he's got to be one of the first names on the team sheet for England. Scott. Big statement there, Sam. We'll come on to that and just admit Arsenal are going to win the title. But look, I, I, I'm I'm probably with, with Crookie. I, I think a lot does depend on if you can carry your team to win a major trophy and if Saka can do it. For Arsenal, I think that would be that would absolutely tip it for him. Haaland has been something special what he's done, and I think it's the detriment of Manchester City and the rest of the players. And I've talked about how difficult it is in that third season to go again. Um, not that it's been him that's the problem; he's been scoring goals. But the season stopped now. I would give it to Saka. I think he has been sensational. I think to hear Gareth Southgate and you know, it, and you mentioned it there, he helps his full back out. You know, defensively, he knows his role. He's football intelligent. Apart from what you do see, there's certain things that you don't see that why the likes of Gareth Southgate would always have him probably the second name down on the team sheet right now. So all I can say is as a, as a former left-back myself and, and you as well, Sam, I wouldn't be sleeping very well the night before if I'm coming up against Saka. No, no. Uh, maybe sort of a, his way of bantering you is sort of uh, asking you sort of history questions <laughs> or uh, countdown conundrums is going down the touchline to really bamboozle your mind because he's that clever. Loads of A grades at GCSE, A star grades at GCSE um, for, for Kayu Saka. Um, James Madison, I thought uh, he did quite well. I mean, I thought you kind of really limited um, and they didn't really um, show what they were capable of. I know it was six months in between internationals uh, for them. Um, and that makes it difficult for you. Temporary manager, a lot obviously has gone on away from the football, which has taken a lot out of the players. A lot of them haven't got to play. I was reading a fascinating article about how some of the players in the domestic league regularly have their matches interrupted by bomb raids, and they have to go into a shelter and then come back out again and then play on. There was one game that took four and a half hours to complete. So it's not an easy situation for them to sort of get into they didn't have a shot on target in the match Madison 
I thought his brilliant free kick, delicious delivery from the right-hand side, which Kane almost got on the end of. I know there was an offside flag there, but that just showed his quality at certain times. Those little through balls that can really open up a game, especially a tight game. Yeah, I thought it was quite an interesting insight when he spoke to Faye as well, and, and she asked about whether he felt his time in terms of making that full debut had gone with the World Cup. And he said, not so much the World Cup, but obviously it was when he was overlooked for a long time by Gareth Southgate. And he said, once you're out of this squad, it's very difficult to get back in it. So, you know, I thought, I think that was interesting in terms of the competitiveness, particularly in those forward areas. I mean, they're blessed for riches, aren't they, England? We were talking about this on Sunday night. Marcus Rashford, obviously a lot has been made of, of him going off to New York, but assuming he continues his good form and he's fit, he'll be back in the squad come June when the qualifiers come round again. How do you fit in Saka, Kane, Rashford, Madison, Grealish, Foden? I mean, so many good players going forward in that England side. And that's the problem, isn't it? You get a lot of people who get quite exercised by the missing out of someone. There's always someone who they think should be in the squad. But ultimately, this is a team that have gone to semi-final, semi-final, um, final, quarter-final. You, you can't really argue with, with, with the man's team selection. He, he, you have to trust him to, to get the balance right. No, look, I mean, in terms of James Madison, um, he, he doesn't get in my starting 11 if all those are fit. I'd have Rashford on one side, no. Saka on the other and, and Kane down the middle. And as much as I love Foden, I, I probably in a 4-3-3 would try and have him as one of the number eights. But I, I think Gareth is, is safety first, so I don't think he'll do that. But I, I loved listening to James Madison, he looked like he really enjoys playing for England and wants to play for England. And it's like, you know, what we were like back in the day at school, the kind of enthusiasm that Gaza had, that David Beckham had, that Harry Kane has, that he yeah. wants to play for England, whatever happened. And he'll get knockbacks, but he'll still want to play for England. And, you know, I, I love that. And look, he, he played sort of in off the left, but he came in a lot. And he was very yeah, he clever in doing that. And he's done that before for, for Leicester. But his best position is the number 10. And I would like to see him just put in his best position. Because what you also do is when you have James Madison coming in, you're losing on one side what you've got on the other with Saka. So have Saka one side. Have a, Obviously, you couldn't have a Rashford. You couldn't have a Foden. But I still would have played a Grealish. And then I would have played um, James Madison as a, as a number 10. It, it's more attacking. It can be a... Who would you have left out from midfield? Henderson. Henderson, yeah, absolutely. And and you have Bellingham and Rice in there. U Ukraine, with all that's gone on and six months without a game competitively, never went to really win this game. Even when they went 2-0 down, they, they were doing well up at 0-0, but they never really went to win this game. Even at 2-0, they never really tried to get back into it. So, no. And I understand the substitutions being late from Gareth. I really do. I, I've defended him a lot. And how can you make substitutions at 2-0 where if they now nick a goal, 2-1, you're on the back foot? We've already seen it in Italy just a few days earlier. I get that. But, uh, look, you know, we can talk for ages about Gail Southgate. I'm 95% behind him. I do think some of his in-game substitutions haven't been as good as they could have been, like Marcus Rashford only getting a few minutes in that France game. But he's the man for me. I'm very happy. We had a discussion with Adrian Durham. I think he took a little bit wrong what I was saying. Great result in Italy. And we have taken control of this group. He was giving you stick, wasn't he? It was, he got a little bit exercised. He got, he got a little bit antsy. Even his producer texted me and said, can you check on Scott and make sure Scott's yeah. okay? He sent me a text straight after and said, love you. So I, that's what I love about AIDS. You can have that kind of disagreement where, you know, and then, yeah. you know, 
go and have a beer in in in, in inverted commas um, straight after. I love a debate, and we're not all going to agree, and not all everyone's going to agree what I say about Gail Southgate or even Italy. We were very good in that first half. We just about got away with it in the second, but we have taken control of this group, and now is the time with um, the two games. I know one's Malta. I can't remember the other one. Where if he does want to experiment, he can. North Macedonia. There you go. I think mentally as well, you've got to remember, this is the first time that the England players have been together since the World Cup. There, there will be scars, particularly Harry Kane, and you would have touched on this the weekend, but the way he tucked away that penalty, so nerveless, having missed his previous one in such a high-pressure situation, I think tells you all you need to know about his character and the character Especially when he was going for the record players. goal scorer award as well while I was doing it. So it's not like he was, uh, it, it was a nothing penalty. It was, it was, there was a huge amount of pressure on that. Yeah, and listen, this Italian side are not very good. They weren't very good when they beat England in the Euros. You know that I think that, and certainly they've got worse since then. But it's still not easy to go to Naples and win the game. They've backed it up with a, a very easy victory at home against a Ukraine side who had the emotion of a nation behind them. I think to bounce back from the World Cup, win their first two qualifiers. I mean, they've got one foot in the finals of the Euros already. Yeah. I think this is a job well done by Gareth Southgate. And listen, you know that I've been his biggest critic in the past. I can't really criticise him for these two games. Um, the best international result of the weekend came in Almaty in Kazakhstan. Unreal. Denmark, 2-0 up with 20 minutes to go. Lost 3-2 to Kazakhstan. Unbelievable turn of events. Um, that is uh, it for international football for now. Attention now turns back to the Premier League. Uh, we've had another managerial casualty and we've got to get back to a season where there is everything to play for. So, what's going to happen? Let's find out. Starting with the title race. It's a season like no other in the fact that every single team has something to play for. I mean, even Aston Villa and Chelsea, if you really sort of stretch the possibilities and test it, stress test it, that they could get into Europe if they were really lucky. Neither of them are probably in the, going in the Europa, Europa every Conference. One. <laughs> in Europa Conference B, maybe. Um, Zenith Data Systems Cup, Scott. You know, remember <laughs> no, that? I didn't that play in that competition, one. wasn't it? You didn't no, play that, in that no? my time. Oh, Ch- Tony Dorigo was left back in that uh, that win over Middlesbrough. He scored the winning goal, actually, a free kick from the edge of the penalty here at Wembley. He, 1990, was it, I thought it was 88, but he was a proper left back. Oh, no, 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 no. At 89, they beat Manchester City in the full oh, members' right. cup final. It was 87 in the full members' cup final, and it was 5-4. David Speedy was a big part of that. Um, anyway, asked. so the t- nobody asked, no. Uh, but we used to really hang on to those things many years ago um, when there was no European football. Um, the title race, I'm, I, look, I'm not a Manchester City fan. I'm not an Arsenal fan. But I want Arsenal to win the league. And I'm not anti-Manchester City. I'm not anti-Manchester United or Newcastle. Not that either of those two teams could probably win the league. But I want Arsenal to win it because I like to believe that the Premier League's beauty is its competitiveness and the idea of Manchester City winning it for a, a fifth time in six seasons, winning it three in a row, becoming a sort of big monopoly, dilutes that competitiveness. I want us to be able to believe that a team that is not owned by a nation state has got the chance if it's well coached and it recruits well to go on and do what at the beginning of the season, let's be honest about it, was the unthinkable. And Mikel Arteta has got his team into a position which they can achieve it. No one has got to this point of the season and managed to throw away the title. What do we think is going to happen? Brooke? Well, I'm with you, Sam. 
Um, I don't have a, a dog in the race, so to speak, because Manchester United are miles adrift. Um, but I think it's good for the game if Arsenal can see this through. And I think it'd be very bad for English football if Arsenal, from such a imperious position, are still reined in by Manchester City. I think to do that, City are pretty much going to have to win every game between now and the end of the season. But we've seen in the past, they're more than capable of that. And as Martin yeah. Keown told us a week ago, Arsenal have some difficult games. Liverpool, West Ham away. Newcastle, <laughs> West Ham away. Um, so listen, hey, it's still, there's still so much of the season to go. Usually you get to the end of March, you get to after this international break, and there would be far less games to navigate than we've got because of the World Cup. Obviously the season has been extended and there, there are still so many points to win. But I think Arsenal have this fearlessness of youth. I don't think they've been bogged down by expectation because most of their fans still won't come up publicly and say we're going to win the league, although a couple have started to do that. So I'm confident. I, I think they can get the job done. Obviously, the big game is when they play Manchester City. I think if they avoid live defeat there, they're in a brilliant position. Yeah, we're delighted to have that live on TalkSport. Can't wait for it. Uh, stoppage time goals, winning both North London derbies, Saka's performances, Xhaka's repositioning, the passion of Zinchenko, Erdegaard just about surviving an assault from Rodri, um, who thought maybe there's a chance to uh, get an advantage in the title race here during the international break and go wiring into him in, in the penalty area. Scott, what are you saying? Well... <sighs> What I would say, and I, and I totally agree with you in terms of the bigger picture of the Premier League. And um, look, I, I'm a massive Pep Guardiola fan, massive from his time at Barcelona. And I love covering the Spanish football and I, I love everything that he represents. But quite simply, unless you're a Man City fan, it would be good for English football if Arsenal can win it. And that's not, not being anti-City at all. I love everything about them. I love the football. I love what they represent. And actually, Arsenal are, are sort of like a, a clone of, of Manchester City, the way they play. Arteta's learned off Pep himself being number two. I think the little blip that they had and that Villa game in particular, but there's also Bournemouth and there will be others to come, um, shows that they've got massive character. And this is a million miles away from the team that finished fifth and blew it at, this, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium last season. So I'd like to see them do it. They're eight points ahead. They've played a game more. But don't forget, they only need to draw one game and then the title race is in the hands of Manchester City as well as it is Arsenal's. But we're getting to the point now where Manchester City will have to beat Arsenal in that game. And that's not going to be easy. Yes, they went to the Emirates and won. But I actually felt Arsenal played very well, had a couple of good chances with Nketiah. And on any given time, the game's all about moments, could have won that game themselves. So... Played well there in the FA Cup as well, despite making changes. Yeah, I, I, look, I yeah, genuinely think it's 50-50. And if you two pin me down and twisted my arm and say, you have to say a name, I would still probably go with City. But I, I mm. yeah, I, 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 but what I would say with City <laughs> is that... Was that an attempt at a boo? It <laughs> <laughs> sounded like a very sheepish boo. It's like you wanted to, to, to boo, but then you sort of reined yourself back in there, Crook. You, you weren't committing I'm always to the reining boo. myself Commit in. to the boo. Problem. That was a poor poo. Commit to the boo. Poor, a poor one. Um, look, what, eh? I, I've, I've looked at the fixtures. I've even written them down just before we've come on. And City of uh, City could go and win every single game. Yeah, they really could. They've got Liverpool up next. You know, it's not a good Liverpool side. They've got Chelsea towards the end of the season. It's not a good Chelsea side. Everton away. Is it tough? Is it not? The, the, the rest, I think, is absolutely winnable. What they have got is they're in the FA Cup and they're in the Champions League. And the games are going to be coming yes, thick and fast. Now, they have a squad to deal with it. But at the same time, Arsenal... Have they? Have they? Yeah, I, I think so. 
I, I do think so. Have, have they? Do you think he sits there now, though, Scott, and looks back and thinks, why did I sell Zinchenko? <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I, I don't think he'd have sold Zinchenko or Jesus to any other person, person other than Mikel Arteta. Um, I don't think he genuinely thought that Arsenal would do what they did. I mean, who did in terms of... So are you saying that his generous side, his, his affable, lovely, sort of <laughs> altruistic internal emotions have got the better no. of him and going to cost him no, the title? Th- this because is... knowing him and meeting him as often as I have, I'm not even sure that side exists. Sam, it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> but what, what, what side does exist is he wants everybody to be at their best which makes him even better. That, that This is what the, the real goats... That is true. That is true. He likes to be pushed, Absolutely. Right? You know, you look at the Michael Jordans, the Kobe Bryants and, and, and the Pep Guardiola. The, the mentality of them is, I want you to get better because that makes me get better. Messi, Ronaldo, you know, and Pep's exactly like that. I, as I say, I don't think it would have done it other than the relationship he had with Arteta. But he's very much, when I covered uh, Spanish football, and when I found out his, his mentality, it's just about, I want everybody to be great. I just want us to be better. So, so let's get this right. So this is almost the equivalent of playing in the playground with your mates playing at school, right? And there's one team that are, are winning 5-6-0 every single, every single time you go out on the playground. So you give some of the better players... To the other team just to level it up to see if you can no, still be no, that's basically what no, we're saying it, 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 it's not that look jesus for a good few years hadn't made himself a, a first teamer and i think he's a what i hear he's a great lad a great professional and i think he's probably gone in and say look can i get in the first team here no i can't well will you do the honorable thing and one thing i think pep is he can be very prickly he can be very sharp but i think he's also very honorable and the same with zinchenko I don't okay. get the Zinchenko one. I, I actually, at the start of the season, got the Jesus one. I didn't get the Zinchenko one then, and I don't get it now, especially well, when he's playing Bernardo Silva at left back. Sense, doesn't it? Because, you know, the Zinchenko one doesn't make sense, but the, the Jesus does because he had Haaland and he had Alvarez mm. coming in. So he didn't need to have Jesus, but he did need someone to play on that left-hand side. And that has been a little bit of an issue for them over the course of of the season although then would we have seen Rico Lewis emerge into the team he wasn't anticipating selling João Cancelo midway through the season so uh, it's all ifs and buts so Arsenal for me Arsenal for Crook yes yeah absolutely lock it in Crook lock it in and uh, Scott well I did say we're not going to tie you down and put your arms up and uh, behind your back and rescue you to the floor until tomorrow when we go out on a nice afternoon out but just tell us what team you think is going to win the title. If I have to say one at this moment in time, I'm still going with City. Okay, there you go. There's our predictions. You can let us know yours. We'd love to hear them. Every team, as I said, has something to play for. None more so than those fighting to stay in the Premier League. But uh, let's head to the top four because it currently sees Arsenal and Manchester City joined by Manchester United and Spurs. But will it end up that way? Bearing in mind Brighton and Brentford are only seven points behind Spurs. And in Brighton's case, they've got three games in hand over Spurs. What happens here, Crook? Oh, Hart says Brighton. Head says Newcastle. Um, because I think they've just... It was Liverpool the other week. Again. You changed your mind again. I, I think Newcastle have just uh, found Newcastle a bit of form. Newcastle season was over about two <laughs> weeks ago. Yeah, but they've got basically a new signing in Alexander Isak. I think he's, <laughs> if he stays fit, he's going to be the talisman that will carry them into the top four. They found a bit of momentum that was Hello? clearly missing. Hello? Is that is that fat face? 
yeah, sorry, we've got a rival. There's more flip-flops over here than there is in your store. Well, this is the beauty of the season, Sam. It changes yeah. on a weekly basis. But again, you're trying to pin me down. I'm going to say Newcastle. I think Brighton will come close. What worries me about Brighton is, yes, they've got a lot of games in hand. But I think the desire from Roberto De Zerbi is to play those fixtures as late in the season as possible. That's going to be a really intense May, particularly if they get through the FA Cup semi-final. There isn't much choice than that, though, is there? Because going through the fixtures the way I have, um, I think because of European windows, because of already scheduled Premier League games that have been put into the midweeks in, in April, you know and I know because the amount of work that we've got to do during April, that there is a huge number of midweek games. There's not me- There's not many slots where matches can go. So May is the only alternative. And it will be a thrilling into the season for Brighton. If they can maintain a sort of place on the periphery of that top four or in and around those European positions, when it comes to May, they'll have about four or five cup finals, or they may even have the cup final to play. But they'll have three or four cup finals to play during that month. Yeah, and I think Deserby will keep driving them on, which is why I think they have to be part of the conversation. I'm not including Brentford with the greatest will in the world. I don't see them as a team who can challenge for the top four. And I think Spurs, for the reasons we've talked about already, I can see them falling away under Stellini and Mason. Yeah. So I think Brighton have got a great chance. But I think Newcastle now can grasp the nettle as well and, and go and bring Champions League football back to St. James's Park. OK, I think it will finish with Manchester United and Newcastle United in, in the top four. And a lot will depend on the next two weeks for Liverpool in particular because of their matches with Newcastle and Arsenal back to back. They may well be out of the, the top four hunt by the time we speak in, in uh, uh, t- 10 days' time. Um, United almost certain of a top five position. It'd be almost impossible for them to slip any further than that. But I don't see Tottenham sticking the place uh, at all. We've already mentioned a lot about them. We know the combustible situation they've got themselves into and they rely too heavily on the Harry Kane and there is no other alternative for goals there. Uh, They're in a great position, but they were in a great position in the FA Cup and they chucked that away. They were in a great position in the Champions League and they chucked that away. So likelihood is this, that these things happen in threes and they'll chuck this away as well. Newcastle don't win as many games as the others and that worries me a little bit, Scott. Um, are you concerned by that? They, they draw more games than the others. Do you know what, Sam? But they don't lose, which is a major yeah, thing. Do you know what, Sam? And We haven't called him the chef yet today, have we? Um, but I'm, I, no. th- This fourth... You've already been cooking up, chef boy. <laughs> this fourth spot is a bit like that final relegation spot. It's, it's so difficult. And no one seems to want it. We, we've, we've, you're right. We've spoken about Spurs, Newcastle, and Crookie's right. He's come. Newcastle have come back in with those back-to-back victories, and they they were lucky against Wolves with the, the sort of Pope situation. Um, Liverpool are just so flaky. You know, after the United game, everyone's thinking they're going to be fourth, and they go and lose a game we covered, Sam, at Bournemouth. You, you can't trust them. Can't win away. No, no. And the way form's really poor, and Jurgen Klopp admitted that post-match. But, and, and yet Brighton is a team I love watching and, and I covered the, um, the Grimsby game. But I think it's so much to ask them to go with so many games. The, go, the games in hand are nice, but you've got to win them, you know. And, and actually, you can pick up injuries and you can get tiredness and fatigue as well when it just comes every three days. So as much as I'd love to see Brighton in the fourth spot, and you can't count Bright, uh, Brentford, even though they're, they're the same amount of points as Brighton, because they're not going to better everybody of those teams above them um, and go on that sort of winning run. It's incredible where they are already. T- two weeks ago, I wouldn't have said Newcastle. At this moment, moment in time, I will say Newcastle. In two weeks' time, I may say Liverpool. 
it is one of those. It's one of those seasons, which is why it's, I think, I can't, honestly can't think of a better Premier League season. At the moment, I'll go Newcastle. Who knows in two weeks' time? Okay, so I'm going Man United, Newcastle. We're all going the same, are we? Man United and Newcastle, is that correct? Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. We're all going to have egg on our faces. Other European positions, one of the positions for the FA Cup will probably drop down into the uh, into the into the pack because even if Brighton win it, they're, they're likely to finish in the top seven anyway. So it's, it's probably going to drop down again. Uh, Chelsea and Liverpool both sneak in. Is that possible to get into the top seven? Both those two, or, or, or Brighton, Brighton, and Brentford and Fulham? Going to be playing with the big boys. Not sure about Fulham after what happened in that FA Cup game. Uh, no Willian, no Mitrovic for their game against Bournemouth the weekend. Big chance for Bournemouth. We'll talk about relegation Mitch in a moment. Be out for a lot longer than just the mm. weekend game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Brentford, despite the fact I've said they're not top four contenders, I think particularly at home they'll win enough games that I think they can finish in the top seven. I think Brighton will finish in the top seven. So, therefore, it makes it difficult for Liverpool and Chelsea to do so, doesn't it? I, I, I'm not sure Chelsea will. I, I think their focus now is very much the Champions League. Yep. Uh, I'm going to go uh, top seven. So, I'm going to go Spurs, Brighton, and uh, Liverpool. Scott? Yeah, I can't, I can't disagree with that. I can't. I, Chelsea, you just never know. They could easily click and go four wins on the spin. But you, you, again, you just can't call it. So at this moment in time, yeah, I, I'd go with the same what you said. Just when you thought they were getting going, Scott, they they, they managed to throw oh. away a game against Everton. It's really frustrating. Against a team that's lacking in confidence and is rubbish away from home. Never win away and don't score any goals. They scored twice at Stamford. You know, and, and yeah, and that's why that sort of one goal lead is, is so precarious because, you know... You're two one up. You don't see it out, and that's really two points dropped. It really is. You know that would have been three wins on the spin in the league, and then you're thinking, "Oh, I tell you what, can they kick on? Can they no. somehow go on this winning run?" But no, I don't see it. I hope that kills you, though, Scott. So, Crook, what are your three? Finish this up. For- Brighton, Sorry. Spurs. Yeah, probably Liverpool. All go for the same thing. The only differential we've had so far is the uh, is the Manchester City uh, Arsenal title race. I'll tell you what, well, then I'll be a little bit different. No, 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 no. It's okay. Just be honest. We don't want you just to fabricate it just for the sake of it. There's no okay. point. We'll, there's certainly going to be enough differential as we get down to the bottom of the table, where the fewest number of points separating 12th to 20th um, going into April in Premier League history has occurred. Yeah. Tightest relegation race ever in the Premier League. Who drops? Well, I said Saints in pre-season. I said Bournemouth. And I said Nottingham Forest would stay up. But as time goes on, there's no certainty in anything. Um, I think Palace have made a big mistake because I think they've, they're going to regress. Um, they'll probably stay up because they'll just you know, bore their way uh, to safety. But I also think Leicester in danger of sleepwalking into a relegation fight. They have a lot of goals, but they leak too many. Um, I think they thought they were going to evade it after their little autumn uh, upsurge. I'm going to go Southampton, Bournemouth, and Leeds United. Now, the last two, Saints and Bournemouth, at the bottom of the pile, um, valiantly giving it a go. They just don't have the quality. Saints have five of the top seven to play. So I'm going to go Saints to go down. Bournemouth, I think, have just run out of gas. And 
Leeds. I just I worry about Leeds. What do you got for me, Crook? Well, <laughs> I've said all along that Bournemouth will stay up. I'm going to stick with that. I think this game against Fulham with those absentees is massive. I think they have to win that at home on Saturday, or I might have to change my prediction. I agree with you on Southampton. Again. And let's be honest, they deserve to go down because they've messed about with Nathan Jones. They gave him their more winnable fixtures, which is why that Ruben Sellers has got this daunting fixture list to try and navigate their way to safety. So Southampton, definitely. Um, I still think Forrest will go. Um, I think they've got a big home game mm. this weekend. If they don't bounce back from that last home defeat, I think they're in big trouble. And you know what? I'm leaning towards Crystal Palace because Darren Ambrose, Selhurst Park icon, dug out an incredible stat at the weekend. In his last three jobs, his final 24 games at the end of a season, Roy Hodgson has won two of those 24 matches. Now, that suggests to me that his power has waned. And although they've got a really easy fixture list, I'm just not sure that he's the man to inspire them to victory. So I think Palace will No, I, I agree with you. I, I think there's a real problem there. Um, can I ask you this question, though? I think you listed seven teams to go down. <laughs> Is there any chance you could just pick three? I've got I've gone Palace, Forest, and Southampton. Palace, Forest, and Southampton. I've gone Leeds, despite that they've got the fact that they've got two really winnable fixtures coming up. Um and um Bournemouth and Southampton. Scott, what are you going to go yeah, for? First of all, Sam, that was a much better boo than uh, Crookies when you booed. Um, I got committed to it. I went, you went for, for it. it. I'm too nice. That's always been my problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Moving swiftly on. Um, <laughs> definitely he's got his Bournemouth hat on because I know he wobbled not that long ago. Um, but he's saying now that he always said Bournemouth and he's going to stick with it. Look, we covered the, the Liverpool game. <laughs> if they play like they played against Liverpool... They will stay up, but it's about the consistency. I, I'm going to try and say, which and I said, and I was with Crookie at the start of the season, different manager, and I think Gary O'Neill has done exceptionally well. I will repeat, if he keeps them up, he should be in the running, in the running of, of manager um, of the season. But I'm going to stick with Bournemouth. Um, I think Southampton will finish rock bottom. And I've said all along, I think Steve Cooper is a fantastic manager. I really do. I think he's had to deal with a lot of things. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's another boo coming here. I, I feel it. I think their away form is so poor that they're relying so much on the home form. And when it's not happening, they're in big, big trouble. I, I, I hear what you're saying about Roy Hodgson. You know, I've said when we talked about other clubs, what do you do? You get a manager in just to keep them up. The process is the process in the Premier League, not in the Championship. And I think, I think Palace will be bored their way to, to staying up. There's still the big clubs of Everton, West Ham, you know, Moisey's under pressure there. The, Wolves. the fans aren't having him there, you know, and, and Leeds. I just feel, I just, again, I think I'm going back to how I felt throughout the first half of the season with Forest. It looked like they were going to get away and now they've been dragged in. And ultimately now... There's a big problem here with Nottingham Forest. There's a big issue here. And uh, Steve Cooper's coalition of the willing and his collegiate system that pulls everybody in, keeps them involved... I want to be successful and allow them to stay up. But the next two games are absolutely massive because they've got a home game against Wolverhampton Wanderers on uh, the weekend. Then they go to Leeds. Then they go to Aston Villa. Those three games will define their season because the rest of their home games are this. Manchester United at home, they'll lose that. Brighton at home, they'll lose that. 
Southampton at home, massive, massive, massive game, and Arsenal at home. So if they're only relying on their home form for points, there ain't going to be too many points they're going to be able to pick up at the City Ground. So the next few matches, the next three matches, are absolutely key. Um, I'm I'll tell you what he has got, Steve up. Cooper. He's got a brilliant publicist because I've seen numerous articles suggesting that he's in the running for the Tottenham job. On what basis? On the I mean, basis that on. he took Nottingham Forest from bottom of the table in the championship to promotion for the first time in 24 years. On the basis that he won the World Cup with England's under-17s. On the basis that he took Swansea with no money whatsoever to two championships. I'll tell you what as well. You're telling me he, he's a genuine candidate for the Spurs job. I can't. I, I, I actually think, actually think, I think your point was key here. And what you said earlier on is interesting. The calibre of the manager that Tottenham go for if they don't get in the Champions mm, League maybe. is going to be someone like Steve. I'll Cooper. tell you what he also does as well. He improves players. He does make players yes, better. He does. He's a good coach. And everywhere he's gone, he's Brilliant taken coach. that. He's taken his club further on. What he did at Swansea, people don't understand what he... The, the, the fact. Crook, you, have you ever met him, Crook? Have you ever met him? Uh, yeah, I've you interviewed him a couple of times, yeah. Yeah, I think you should go down. We should go down to the training ground and you should meet him because I think you should see how he works. I think, I think you know what you're like? You did this with sort of Scott Parker, didn't you? you? You slag them off and slag them off and then you meet them properly and you sit down, you talk to them, you get involved in the conversation with them and all of a sudden they become your best friend. It's a bit like your relationship at Bournemouth now. You're sort of very anti, causing them all sorts of problems. <laughs> I played Boutris, Boutris, Garley, brought you two <laughs> together like the United Nations. Now you're like Bournemouth PR officer. It was, it's, it's amazing. Should we, should we do the same thing with Nottingham Forest and Steve Cooper? I'll, I'll take a, a trip to, to the city ground. No problem. I like the city ground, to be fair. Come on then. Let's do that. We'll do that together. Uh, no one mentioned Wolves. I mentioned that. They, them and Crystal Palace and Forest have scored 22 goals this season. I mean, that is rubbish. That's about as entertaining as a night out with Rishi Sunak. Or a Zoom phone call. <laughs> oh, have you been hanging out with the Lionesses? We had Jill and Beth around this week. <laughs> Cheers, Rishi. Thanks very much. Stick to the day job. It'd be nice if you did it. Um, are we going to see the experience sees us through uh, the day? Um, Dyche, Moyes, Hodgson, are they going to do enough to keep those big beasts away from it? I mean, we've mentioned Palace, but what about West Ham? Can they survive? I think they'll be fine all the time. Danny Ings is fit. If he stays fit, he'll score goals, particularly at home, and they'll get enough points. Scott, can West Ham stay up? Uh, Your former absolutely. team? Absolutely. But I think there's a number of teams that are bad enough to go down. It's just a question of who the three worse. And I, I think Southampton are there. You know, as I say, I'll stick with Bournemouth. There'll be a lot of pressure at West Ham. The fans are not happy. You know, it's not the easiest place to play when they're, when they're not happy. They're incredibly passionate. So he needs to start winning. Um, but, and Leicester. You know, look at Leicester. I, I was going to say, look, I, I, I mentioned Leeds earlier, but I... I, I... I've been wavering between Leeds and Leicester yeah. all over the... I've just come down on Leeds because I just think that Javi Grazia hasn't done enough to sort of get them moving. And they, they just seem to be so like fallible at the back. But yeah, Leicester are just as bad. And it's like, so I went Leicester in January and I changed to Leeds. And now I feel like I should go to Leicester again. <laughs> it was a big win for Javi. You can only pick three, remember that. <laughs> I can only pick three, but I said Leeds or Leicester. I didn't do what you did and say, well, I think uh, Crystal Palace will get relegated and Bournemouth will get relegated and West Ham will get relegated and Leicester and Nottingham Forest and Southampton. They'll all be relegated. The championships just like, got this big. It's like working with Martin Keown the other week. <laughs> I never said Bournemouth would get relegated, team. so you, you, you're it, it, making stuff up there. There's one less, one less, one less. <laughs> I think uh, we did earlier it. in the season. I didn't. Uh, I did... did 
Scott, did he say he thought they would go down Who, who's that, earlier in the season? Who's that, sorry? He said Bournemouth would go down earlier in the season. I, I don't know about earlier in the season. I do know a couple of weeks ago he was he did. He was he was wavering. Um but he's sticking with it now after that Liverpool performance. Yeah, yeah, okay. He's wobbling again. All right, listen, thank you very much. I think we've probably uh, uh, d- delighted uh, loads of uh, supporters who are going to be contacting Crook telling me he can't go to their city or me that I'll, I'm anti-someone or Scott who wanted uh, who, who hates Arsenal. He wants Manchester City to win that the title. So uh, but what oh, by the way, it's going to be exciting. By the way, Crooky saying on uh, TalkSport yesterday that I was scathing about Marcus Rashford. W- was I scathing about Rashford or did I say... I do think there's a problem. Do you know what? It's so interesting. This weird debate that we had yesterday afternoon has caught so much tension and I just don't get it. I honestly don't get it. I was I taking my leave probably... from Adrian, in fairness. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, you didn't listen to it, did you? <laughs> no, but Adrian, did you listen when, to he, it? When, when I spoke to him at did you listen time, to it? he said so that you went him and on Scott the radio had a row about and Rashford. You said, you said that Scott was scathing about, um, uh, about Rashford and that's a lie. So that's defamation. Absolutely. So and so, so you could set, sue him for that because you didn't even listen to the radio. And this is the point that I made to a guy who tried to have a go at me on Insta yesterday. You went into the debate, you're listening to it, and you thought that it was going to be something it wasn't. It wasn't confrontational. It wasn't disrespectful. No one criticised Rashford. No one criticised his intentions. No one had a go at Gareth Southgate. We had a very sensible and constructive debate about how to get Marcus Rashford consistently in the England team between now and the European Championships because we don't want to be having that debate in a year's time when England have got a major tournament to play. Now, a lot of people on social media reacted to it and whatever, but ultimately, if you listened to the whole thing, you wouldn't have said scathing. And you, crook, are guilty. You've made up a narrative and yeah. you've tried to spin Scott into trouble. And you know what, Sam? Because you didn't even hear the whole it's thing. It's called cross-promotion. That's promotion. what worries about me. You're supposed to be a journalist and you didn't find out the facts before you reported the story. So you've got to look at yourself Absolutely. in the mirror. Yeah? And you know what, Sam? If I actually bothered to look at my Twitter account, I'm sure I've got a lot of abuse on it off the back of it. <laughs> yeah, because he's whipped Absolutely. it up. He's made it something that it isn't. He's changed the nature of the debate. So you need to apologise. Sorry, Scott. I'll, I'll let you buy me a pint tomorrow. Yeah, you're buying the first one there now. You go. That's better. More great debate um, later on in the week when we preview the upcoming weekend of Premier League action. We've got some massive games for you on TalkSport, including Manchester City against Liverpool, live and exclusive to National Radio, 12.30 on Saturday. I can't wait for that. And we've got Everton Tottenham on Monday night as well. That's going to be a banger too. Don't go anywhere. TalkSport's the place to be. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.